Welcome to Twice Five Miles Radio, fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nave, always broadcasting first on WPVMLP, Asheville 103.7, streaming online, WPVMFM.org, the voice of Asheville heard all over the world, and on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio, coming out of Taos, New Mexico. Thank you, Walter Parks, for our theme song, WalterParks.com, for more of Walter's music. Thank you, Devine Dial, for managing WPVMFM. We couldn't do this work without you, so we appreciate it. If any of you would like to get in touch with me, Nave, at jamesnave.com. Nave is spelled N-A-V-E. And if you would like to join me any Saturday morning, my creative collaborator, Allegra Houston, and I host a writing workshop 12 to 1 p.m. on Saturdays. It's called the Imaginative Storm Writing Prompt of the Week Gathering Workshop Conversation Salon. ImaginativeStorm.com for the Zoom link. Um, it's always open to everyone. There's no charge, so we would love to have you join us. So today I'm doing a solo show. I've come to rather like these solo shows, and as I was thinking about what I would like to offer you today, I thought, well, I spent a great deal of time on this show talking to people about the poetic things of life, the poetic dispositions we have, the poetry of life. And so I thought I would do a show around poetry and and how so many people I've known have gotten started with poetry in a million different ways. Some people were born or at least they claim they were born knowing they were going to be poets. Other people stumbled on it during some sort of tragedy or grief, or maybe the opposite, a joyous conversation with somebody sparked something poetic in them and off they went, writing poetry, reading poetry. You know, love, love tends to do that to you. If you fall in love, and I hope you have had that experience more than once in your life, you know that when that experience happens, you tend to feel poetic, like like the entire spring was just offered to you in a field of beautiful wildflowers. So poetry can come to us in many, many different ways. I'm curious. I would love to know how poetry uh, came to you, or if it hasn't come to you, perhaps today will give you a little more insight into how it could work for you, and you could apply it in your life. And since I mentioned love, I'd like to start by offering you a poem by Elizabeth Barrett Browning. And this is a poem I really like, mostly because I've had the opportunity to perform it many times for people uh, all over the world. So here goes. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love thee to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach when feeling out of sight for the ends of being and ideal grace. I love thee to the level of every day's most quiet need by sun and candlelight. I love thee freely as men strive for right. I love thee purely as they turn from praise. I love thee with the passion put to use in my old griefs and with my childhood's faith. I love thee with a love I seem to lose with my lost saints. I love thee with the breath, smiles, tears of all my life, and if God choose, I shall but love thee better after death. 
Elizabeth Barrett Browning lived from 1806 to 1861. How do I love thee? Sonnet 43. Starting with love is a pretty good place to start, I would say. And you can write a poem about love fairly easily. All you have to do is think about somebody you care about, somebody you love, and just start jotting down a few lines. You probably will find that you will experience some of the same sensibilities Elizabeth Barrett Browning experienced when she wrote How Do I Love Thee. You probably won't get a sonnet the first round, but I'll bet you'll get some sort of sensibility. I'll bet you'll smile when you're writing a line or two about somebody you love. And if you don't feel like calling it a poem, you could maybe call it a song. In fact, I'm working on a song right now. I'm not a singer. That may be one of the reasons why I was drawn to poetry, because I thought if I, if I can't hit the notes as a singer, I can certainly recite a few poems, and maybe I will have a, a sense of how my voice sounds from a, from a melodious point of view. I've talked on this show a bit about how I came to music by way of learning the guitar, playing old Appalachian tunes with my father, and I've kept it up. In fact, in the last um, few months, I've been playing more than ever, so I've come to really enjoy it, and I was wondering why I had never written a song. And the reason I haven't written a song, officially, quote-unquote, is because I don't think of myself as a songwriter. So I thought, well, I'll change that. So I was thinking about writing a song, and the first line just popped out while I was noodling around on the guitar. And the first line goes like this. She drove a 59 Ford Fairlane into the easy evening rain. I once knew someone who drove a 59 Ford Fairlane, and I don't know if she drove it into the easy evening rain or not. She must have because she did live in Asheville, and it does rain a lot in Asheville. So why wouldn't she drive her 59 Ford Fairlane into the easy evening rain? Probably drove it into a few thunderstorms as well. I don't know. But I remembered that car, and that line just popped out. So this song that I'm working on is a song about how much I love my memories as much as it is a love song. And yet, as I am composing it, I'm discovering a lot of smiles on my face because I'm thinking of people that I've cared about. How do I love thee? Well, let me count the ways. How about a 59 Ford Fairlane? So this is, this is how far I've gotten with the song, so you'll be interested in it. I won't sing it to you, but I'll recite it as a simple little poem. Here, here we go. She drove her 59 Ford Fairlane into the easy evening rain that sang songs that we'd never heard before. Some were blue and some were bold, some were true and some were cold, and some were dreams in our misty summer nights. Now that's as far as I have gotten, at least I'm committed to those lines. Will I have a hit on my hands? I don't think so. Am I having a good time thinking about love and music and the melodious aspects of my voice as I try to put a little tune together to apply to the words? Sure, 
I am having a good time. And I don't know, I have a few more verses that I've written. Not really, not really keepers, but still a few more verses. So I'm very excited about how one can give oneself over, and I use the word one, to include we, to include all of us, how we can all give ourselves over to our poetic sensibilities, to those things that make us smile. I was working with a group of people last night on a Zoom call, and I was working in a workshop. I was leading a workshop about creativity, and I asked the people on the, on the call, I said, here's an exercise I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to list 20 things that you really like to do, that you enjoy, that you love, the simple things. So I gave everybody maybe five minutes to list 20 things they, they like to do, and then they all came back on the call, and each person read those things they like to do. Now, you might have already guessed what they liked to do was fairly simple. I love to make coffee in the morning and drink it. Another person said, I like to spend time petting my cat. Another person loved to fold clothes. Another person said, I like to doodle. Another person said, well, I enjoy cooking. I enjoy conversations. I like going to the movies. I like folding my clothes. Everything they listed was very simple. They didn't elaborate. They didn't try to go highbrow, saying how much they loved going to the opera and settling in in the front row seat, etc. So, no, I like to pet my cat. I love my animals. I love my cat. It was all about what they loved. And you probably have already guessed this. The people on the call loved these simple things. Well, as it turned out, as each person listed what they loved, everybody else on the call was smiling and nodding because most of the people on the call were reminded by these these lists of 20 things that everybody loved. They were reminded of other things they loved. And then somebody on the call made the observation. They said, it's so easy to listen to these lists. It was so easy for me to make my own list. I love a lot of things. And then they said, you know, it would be difficult for me to make a really long list of the things I hate. I guess I could list a few things I dislike, I hate, but not only would it be difficult to make a long list, it would make me feel awful. And then they went on to say they suspected they could probably make a, a list of 100 or 200 or 300 things they loved. So I, I imagine you could probably do the same. So we're back to, she, she drove her 59 Ford Fairlane into the easy evening rain. Well, if you don't happen to have a 59 Ford Fairlane, if you do happen to have a driver's license and you do own a car, you can probably drive your car into the easy evening rain and enjoy it tremendously. I just had a friend of mine, she left Taos a couple of days ago, she drove to Denver and she bought a brand new car and she's headed to Seattle up into the Pacific Northwest to do some work up there and she decided she was going to treat herself to a brand new Honda and she did. She said it has all the stuff, great music, all kinds of of, of GPS things and good warm seats and lots of room. So she m took an action. She did something she loved. And now she has a brand new 
Honda. I don't even know what the car is. She's going to drive into the probably easy or hard 24-hour rains or snow or whatever she has all the way to Olympia, Washington. So pick a car, any car, and you can drive it wherever you want. And that's how you get into the poetry of things. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways, Elizabeth Barrett Browning said. And when you think about that, how do I love thee? Well, she was addressing Robert Browning, her husband. And yet, thee also could be a reflexive sort of thing, like how do you love yourself? And then you could list all the things that, that you love on the list of 20 or 50 or 100, like my friend driving her car to Olympia. I'll bet she's going to love that drive in that brand new car. Think of the car smell. Oh my goodness, the brand new car smell. Yet another poetic thing. And staying on the theme of love and mobility and cars, there's a car in this poem. I wrote this piece a few years ago. It's going to appear in an upcoming poetry book I'm happy to announce, published by 3A Taos Press. The book's titled 100 Days, and this poem appears in the middle of the book. It's poem number 55, titled He Slipped Away. Just south of Taos, a couple of days ago, on my way to Santa Fe, a road sign warned, Bighorn Sheep. I scanned the land for wildlife, nothing moved, but my borrowed Mini Cooper gliding 60 miles an hour, sunroof pushed back, winded down, sin of sage in the air, Janice Joplin on the radio. I downshifted for the curves and started thinking about the first time I heard Janice cover Chris Christopherson's Me and Bobby McGee. You know, I always thought when Janice said she let Bobby slip away, she meant he left her for another woman, or he hoboed to Seattle because he loved the rails more than he loved her, or he just plain turned mean and robbed a bank. Well, now I know better. Bobby died, and he did it in the arms of a woman who loved him. An hour after I got to Santa Fe, I watched a young married couple ordering sandwiches at the Aztec Cafe. They touched each other while they waited. The air was clean and dry. A few white clouds floated in the egg-blue sky. Of course, poetry of love, like the two young people ordering sandwiches at the Aztec Cafe, is delightful. And yet there's the, the loss as well. Janice lost Bobby. Bobby went away. Bobby died of, of likely a a heroin overdose. So here we come to the the harder side of life. Uh, the love and the, the loss all mixed into one poem. And there's some urgency even with Elizabeth Barrett Browning's poem, and I shall but love thee better after death. So even though she's young and she's admiring her husband and feeling all that wonderful longing that you feel when you really care about somebody, when you start to realize how much you are caring about them as the days pass. And of course, that realization is also tinged with the sense, one day the days will pass 
and pass, and then they'll no longer be there. I shall but love thee better after death. Bobby dies, the young couple gets together, they order sandwiches at the Aztec Cafe, and, and they, they, it all happens underneath the sky. Regardless of whether the sky is egg blue, or whether the sky is cloudy, or, or, or rough, or smooth, or whatever the edges are, poetry can take care of those sensibilities that we have. Poetry can hold those sensibilities that we have, no matter how hard or easy life is as we go along the way. I'm now thinking of a poem written by Paul Lawrence Dunbar, who was born June 27, 1872, and left the earth on February the 9th, 1906. He was born in Dayton, Ohio. And here's what he says about struggle and pain and, and what one loves and how one strives for the things one loves. Here goes. I know what the caged bird feels, alas, when the sun is bright on the upland slopes, when the wind stirs soft through the springing grass and the river flows like a stream of glass, when the first bird sings and the first bud opes, and the faint perfume from its chalice steals, I know what the caged bird feels. I know why the caged bird beats his wings till its blood is red on the cruel bars, for he must fly back to his perch and cling when he fain would be on the bough a swing, and a pain still throbs in the old, old scars, and they pulse again with a keener sting. I, I know why he beats his wing. I know why the caged bird sings. Ah, me, when his wing is bruised and his bosom sore, when he beats his bars and he would be free. It is not a carol of joy or glee, but a prayer that he sends from his heart's deep core, but a plea that upward to heaven he flings. I know why the caged bird sings. And that was Sympathy by Paul Lawrence Dunbar, written in the late 1800s. We all have our confinements, we all have our bars, and we all look out to the things beyond the bars, and we all hope that we can break free from those bars. And guess what? We do. We can. It, it can happen. Back to those, those lists that people made in my workshop, listing the things they love. So Paul Lawrence Dunbar talking about the bird. The bird knows what it loves, and yet the bird's unable to, to reach, to reach out, and so it struggles. That's the poetic disposition. As my good friend Kevin Cannon in Taos says, please, come on, that's just what we do. And yes, indeed, that is just what we do. We strive for those things that we love. That may be why poetry has a lot of love in it, and that may be why poetry's center of gravity is love. I mean, after all, it's difficult to throw yourself into the, the 
sensibilities of poetry without feeling a little bit of, of joy, a little bit of juice, some love, or at least that's my sense of it. Again, I know there's, there are a lot of poems out there that address all of the very difficult issues. And of course, if you listen to Paul Lawrence Dunbar's Sympathy and you read it, you will see that contrast. Clearly, Paul Lawrence Dunbar was a poet who understood the contrast, the struggle between having something and wanting something and sometimes not being able to get it. And there are a lot of people out there who are not able to get what they want for many different reasons, very legitimate reasons. Not everybody could have what they want, and we all know that. Poetry addresses that as well. In fact, now that I think about it, none of us ever get everything we want. That's what makes life so interesting and intriguing. Then, of course, some of the things we get that we think we want, we find out after we get them that we weren't so sure we wanted them or not. And then you have the contrast, the contrast between the burden and the joy. And you may have experienced this in your life. I know a lot of people who are taking care of loved ones. It's a hard thing to do if you've been a caretaker. You know that. And at the same time, there's great satisfaction and joy in doing it. The contrast, the burden, and the joy. So there we have poetry again. We have no answers. And yet, within the context of thinking poetically, we do find insights. And maybe every now and then you do get an answer. I'm thinking of how we are going at this collectively, really. And even though your experience is very different than mine, your life is different than mine, we can find some common ground. In a sense, we're travelers going up and down hills, which reminds me of a poem written by Christina Rossetti. She lived between 1830 and 1894. Gosh, we're working in the 1800s a bit. So this poem is titled Uphill, and it, it's in two voices. Uh, does the road wind uphill all the way? Uh, yes, uh, to the very end. Will the day's journey take the whole long day? Uh, from morn to night, my friend. But is there for the night a, a, a resting place? Ah, a roof for when the slow dark hours begin. May not the darkness hide it from my face? You cannot miss that inn. Uh, shall I, I meet other wayfarers at night? Those who have gone before? Then must I knock or call when just in sight? They will not keep you standing at that door. Shall I find comfort, travel sore and weak? Of labor you shall find the sum. Will there be beds for me and all who seek? Yea, beds for all who come. That was Christina Rossetti's Uphill. Now you have to wonder. What was that dialogue about? It was a bit of before and after, if you know what I mean. I'm now thinking of another poem that I wrote, which kind of echoes 
the desires that people have, and yet the illusions they live with and the way they fool themselves. This poem appears in my new book, 100 Days. It's titled, Helmets Be Damned. Hundreds of Harleys invade Taos every Memorial Day weekend. The bikers, mostly men with gray in their beards, ride their hogs. Hair blowing back, winds slapping their jackets, boots propped above power-stoking engines that boom through silver pipes past Taos gems and minerals, Song's Asian restaurant in Anthony Lopez's law office. You know, Harleys were roaring through Taos long before Dennis Hopper and Peter Fonda rode easy over the Rio Grande looking for adventure and a place to smoke and lightning into the 21st century where they would never grow old. Like the bikers, every Memorial Day weekend, helmets be damned, these cats are riding with their souls free down the long road that always curves out of Sunday morning. They lean into the warm air never noticing how their shadows ripple across fence post, barbed wire, and no trespassing signs. Harley Davidson's in Taos, New Mexico on Memorial Day weekend. So you have the warm air and the shadows rippling across the fence post, the barbed wire, the no trespassing signs, the rebellious nature of, of people who, who do things that, that set them free, like riding easy over the Rio Grande, wanting to smoke and lightning into the 21st century where they would never grow old. But of course, we do grow old, and that's just fine, because as we grow old, we make room for the new things. In some ways, everything is new all the time, even growing old, which is an interesting discovery. I mean, when you think of growing old, or at least when I think of growing old, I think of my own aging. I imagine you do too. So age, aging, we think of it in human terms. Even so, aging, when you frame it around other terms, it changes the perspective a bit. For example, when we talk about humans aging, we think of humans becoming elderly and then eventually dying, which, of course, we all do. And, of course, everything eventually erodes away and becomes something else. Aging is an interesting concept when you shift away from people and start talking about other objects. For example, I was having a conversation with my friend Walter Parks. Walter provides the theme song for this show. And Walter and I were talking about something that he loves. In fact, I was doing a, a radio interview with Walter, which was aired on this station. And Walter and I were talking about the value of an old guitar versus the value of a collectible automobile. So here's what was interesting for me. I had no idea how valuable some guitars actually were. Turns out, if you own a guitar played by a famous guitar player who played it on some stage in a concert that was famous, 
that guitar could be worth a quarter of a million dollars, maybe more. Or if you own the first guitar made in a in a, a famous series of guitars, like a Martin or a Fender or other guitars. I'm not a guitar collector. I know Martins and Fenders, but I don't know the others. Those guitars made in the very beginning of the series also are really, really valuable. And the older they get, the more valuable they become. Same thing with cars. A collectible car is a really good investment, Walter pointed out. You probably know that if you own a Ferrari, for example, that was made in the early years of Ferraris, and you have it in pristine condition, stored in a garage, the price of that Ferrari appreciates with its age, so the older it gets, the more valuable it becomes. So here we have two different categories, guitars and automobiles. I'm not comparing humans to automobiles and to guitars. I am, however, thinking of the way we perceive age, how we value aging on many different levels. So back to the guitar and the automobile. Turns out, if you are an automobile collector, a rare car collector, if you will, the most prized cars are the cars that are in showroom condition. The ones that have never been driven or have a very few amount of miles on them or have been restored to their original form so that they look like they were just purchased brand new. And with a vintage car, the closer you can get to brand new, the more valuable it is. And if you just happen to have one that was never driven, somehow it ended up in a garage, and that was that, very, very, very valuable. On the other hand, Walter pointed out, if you collect guitars, you know that if you take an old guitar played by someone very well known on a big stage 50, 60 years ago, and the guitar has the scratches from the pick the musician used, or the bangs, or maybe it's even, even has some autographs on it. It's worn down. Walter told me that if you erase all of those scars, if you bring that guitar up to its pristine, brand new condition, the price of the guitar drops dramatically. Walter did say you could tune it up so that it plays well, but you can't alter any of its scars, its blemishes. You can't alter what makes it look old. That is what gives it its value. The automobile, not so much, but the guitar, as Walter pointed out, or believes, really, more than pointed out, because you can't prove it. He thinks the guitars contain the energy, the vibrations, that have been given to the guitar by playing it. And of course you can carry this even further with other instruments like a violin that's been passed down for three, four, five hundred years. So each person who owns the violin caretakes the violin until it goes to the next person. Same thing with the guitars. So age. Age is an interesting proposition. And then the last thought on age, when you think about the grand, gigantic trees, like the redwood trees on the coast of California, or if you go to the Joyce Kilmer National Park in western North Carolina and see the giant trees there, the ones that have been around for hundreds of years, 
You look up at the redwood or the poplar tree or whatever the tree is, and you marvel at how young it is in its old age. So aging is really an interesting proposition. So here we are back to poetry. You could probably write a pretty good poem about a car. Or if you own a guitar, you could probably write a song on your guitar or write a song about your guitar. Again, here we are. She drove that 59 Ford Fairlane into the easy evening rain. So all of these things around poetry are about living and dying and growing old or becoming young again or finding some magical potion that will alter things in some way or another. And poetry can have a bit of a magical feel to it, as well as a message. I'm thinking of a poem that I was inspired to write because I was on a walk, and I was walking down the rim road north of Taos, looking into a beautiful valley and looking out to the horizon. And, and here's the poem that came to mind. I got the idea on the walk, but then I developed it. So it's about going somewhere, and it's about finding your way in the more magical realms. So, so here we go. Let's give this a spin. Beyond the lands of your air-sweeping dreams, the wind returns again and again from the wilds of the known through the distant trees, where shiny red hair mixes with bees. The clouds above and the earth below, along the rivers that always flow beyond where you're standing, past what seems, will redeem your dreams when your breath floats high in the crow-wide sky. On this good day, travel alone with little thought for what you own. Walk with yourself through the perfumed sage, or go to the shore where the curlews play, and you can too for a moment or so until the wind tells you it's time to go to who you are, to what you know, to where you soar, near or far, on the red-headed wind in your sky of bees. Your sky of bees. I imagine your sky of bees would be different than my sky of bees. I wonder what kind of music we could put to to the sky of bees idea and, and where would it come and what would happen and how would it play? Would it even be a song? Good questions to ask. So aging, the sky of bees, where are you going to go? Walk to the shore where the curlews play. So all of these ideas have a newness about them. All of these thoughts have a newness. In a way, thoughts have no age at all. And that's what I love about the poetic considerations we make. And I am often amused by how seriously people take poetry. They are very serious about it. They think it has to be, be exact and have lots of meaning. And indeed, some of the poems that you will read are very serious and they have a lot of meaning. But one's poetic disposition has a lot of levity as well. So everything is serious and everything is light all at the same time. Here we are back to the contrasts. And that's what makes poetry so interesting. The contrast between the automobile and the guitar. Both have value and yet both are perceived for their value with different attributions. The brand new car, smelling like a new car, and the old guitar that has a few signatures on it.
Willie Nelson has a guitar he has named Trigger, and it certainly has a few signatures on it, as well as some bumps and scrapes and God knows what else. And if you do a little research about Willie Nelson's guitar, you'll hear people say it has a hoodoo about it. It has some kind of magic. Even if it's not Willie singing, you always will know that he's playing that guitar. Trigger's in the room, as they would say. People say that guitar will go until there's a frame or just a skeleton left. So you can imagine, eventually, when Willie Nelson moves on to the other dimensions and he leaves Trigger behind, if anybody did anything to do anything to Trigger other than leave Trigger as Trigger, it wouldn't be Willie Nelson's guitar. The old guitar remains young in all of its variations and scrapes and scraps and holes and whatnots. So there's a great relevance to Willie Nelson's guitar. It's relevant in its ancient look. It's relevant in the way it sounds. And yet every song Willie Nelson plays is brand new. It's as if it just happened in that moment, even if Willie's played it a million times. I've never met Willie Nelson. I don't know him, but I, I do know his songs, and I do know I have always enjoyed On the Road Again, Willie singing with all of his friends on the tour bus as they're traveling around. I don't know how he wrote it. I would like to think he wrote it on a napkin, made it up out of the reality of, of his road life, which clearly Willie Nelson loves. I wrote a poem once about the road. I was sitting in a community college waiting for the afternoon show that I had scheduled around 1, 1.30, and I was having lunch in the community college cafeteria, and I was thinking about traveling around and being on the road, so I, I wrote this, so here you go. The road is in love with me. It comes turning out of my childhood, twisting through my morning, interrupting my picnic. It taps while I'm asleep, like a kitten, wishfully waiting for the door to open. I'm always dreaming of the road. As a child, I stood beside it and I watched it as it stretched in the summer afternoon, so concrete, so eternal. As a young man, it carried me through my gate, past my school with its oak wooden floors and wide eastern views, past my church, so small now, inadequate steeple, stained glass windows carried me past gardens with corn so high I'm sure it only grew to give the wind a place to go carried me past my father's blows and my mother's easy words carried me away from home and into the night and into the next morning and the next night and the next morning until I'm here right now before you breathing and alive. The road is in love with me. I don't remember when I wrote that poem, what year it was, but it was a while ago. I still feel like that about the road. Get on the long, lonesome highway and you hear the rhythm of the tires and the wheels rolling along and start to think about things. Look in your rearview mirror and see where you've been. Look far to the distance to see where you're headed and Something about it, the music of the road, the rhythm of the road, the community of the road, the tribe of the road, you name it. And Willie Nelson certainly understood, it still does. And you can hear from 
from his from his guitar trigger and and in his voice you can hear that that longing finding something the discovery looking forward to something heading west driving through the great west to the pacific northwest or down to california or turning turning around and going east heading into the southland through tennessee you know if you ever drive through arkansas on i-40 and you come come out of the night and you come into the early morning and you see the mississippi river bridge that goes over that big river into memphis tennessee there's nothing like it a little bit of rush hour traffic coming and going welcome to tennessee the sign says just above the mississippi just above your car window as you're driving east or for that matter driving west or wherever you're going if you hear the rhythm of the road you're you hear the you're hearing the rhythm of the of the poetry of life and and you know you're going somewhere and you're taking yourself to those places and you belong to yourself and to, to nobody else in those moments of of movement on on the on the great highways of the world and and you can go forever and you'll still be in one place the same place that's the place of you and you're driving and you're going somewhere or you're sitting quietly and you're listening to the sounds of the morning and in a sense there's just as much movement in sitting still as there is driving across the interstate headed through Idaho or Utah or wherever it is you're headed because you're there with your thoughts you're thinking of the people that you love you're thinking of, of how you care about them and and why they mean so much to you and maybe you're even jotting down a little tune or a little poem as you go along the way and of course there's not much of a leap between a, a tune a song a poem and a, and a story and it all blends together. I'm thinking of traveling still, and I'm thinking of journeys that I've taken. And once I had a poem serve me very, very well on a journey I was on. I was in San Francisco. I was attending a poetry event. It was a poetry slam, National Poetry Slam Championships, in fact. And I was on the Asheville Poetry Slam team. And we'd traveled all the way from Asheville by way of airplane to San Francisco. We'd rented a blue Lincoln Continental. And we were driving around in luxury at this Poetry Slam championship. And it was a good week. We had a great time. Our team didn't win, which, of course, didn't really matter either because we had the blue Lincoln Continental. It was a little bit like the 59 Ford Fairlane, if you know what I mean. Back in those days, I traveled a lot, so it wasn't uh, uncommon for me to go from one place to the next. So I had a trip planned. I was to leave San Francisco on a British Air flight, fly to London, catch another flight, fly to Nigeria, and then from Nigeria to fly over to Ghana in South Africa for a teacher's conference. And afterwards, I had a whole five weeks schedule touring West Africa in the international school system of West Africa. So I had to get from San Francisco all the way to Nigeria. And of course, after a long week of of poetry and socializing at the National Poetry Slam Championships. I was a bit tired when I got to the airport and I walked up to check in for my flight. This was before 9-11, so it was a little more loose in those days. It was a crowded area 
It was a busy afternoon, Sunday, and I walked up to the counter, and the agent on the other side of the counter was, as you might expect, busy. So when I approached the counter, the agent looked up and smiled at me and asked me for my passport, and I smiled back and said to her, If I recite a poem for you, would you upgrade me to business class? And she paused because it was a bit of a surprise. I guess nobody had done that in a while. And she smiled back and she said, well, I don't know if I'll upgrade you to business class or not, but go ahead, recite the poem. So I performed uh, or recited, depending on how you want to look at it, I performed, recited Edwin Morgan's poem titled Strawberries. So here goes. There were never strawberries like the ones we had that sultry afternoon, sitting on the step of the open French window, facing each other, your knees held in mine, the blue plates in our laps, the strawberries glistening in the hot sunlight. We dipped them in sugar, looking at each other, not hurrying the feast for one to come, the empty plates laid on the stone together, with the two forks crossed. I bent toward you, sweet in that air, in my arms, abandoned from your eager mouth, the taste of strawberries. In my memory, lean back again, let me love you, let the sun beat on our forgetfulness, one hour of all the heat intense and summer lightning on the Kilpatrick Hills, let the storm wash the plates. So as I said the poem, there was a lull in the moment. The agent listened, the agent smiled, and I was happy to offer up that poem as, as a gift. And so when I was finished, the agent nodded, looked down, put a few stamps on the documents I had handed over and folded the paper, looked up, smiled at me, handed me my ticket and said, have a nice trip. And I stepped away from the counter and opened it up, and sure enough, she had upgraded me to business. So I flew business class, British Air from San Francisco direct to London, and I had lots of good food, had good rest, and my one little offering of the poem Strawberries by Edwin Morgan paid off. I had a good journey. And then when I got to London, I switched back over and got another flight to, to Lagos, Nigeria. Unfortunately, I had a, had a ticket already to Lagos, so I couldn't recite another poem. So I had to fly coach. But it was okay. I had an exit seat, sat beside an expat guy going to Nigeria to do some kind of work in the oil fields. I don't really remember. So it was a good flight. I made it to Lagos, Nigeria. And my trip to Africa started there and continued on for five weeks. Here we are, the love of the road, love of travel, uh, the, the love that we have for people, and the, the love poem, Strawberries by Edwin Morgan, worked out very well, I have to say. And as we move to the top of the hour, I have a nice poetic pairing for Edwin Morgan's Strawberries. It's a poem by Edna St. Vincent Millay titled Recuerdo. And there's a moon in this poem. It obviously is a love poem. How can you have a love poem without a moon, full or otherwise? 
So here you go, Ricardo by Edna St. Vincent Millay. We were very tired. We were very merry. We had gone back and forth all night on the ferry. It was bare and bright and smelled like a stable, but we looked into a fire. We leaned across a table. We lay on a hilltop underneath the moon, and the whistles kept blowing, and the dawn came soon. We were very tired, we were very merry. We had gone back and forth all night on the ferry, and you ate an apple, and I ate a pear from a dozen of each we'd bought somewhere. And the sky went wan, and the wind came cold, and the sun rose dripping a bucket full of gold. We were very tired, we were very merry. We had gone back and forth all night on the ferry. We hailed, Good morrow, mother to a shawl-covered head, and bought a morning paper, which neither of us read, and she wept, God bless you, for the apples and the pears, and we gave her all our money but our subway fares. And that was Ricardo by Edna St. Vincent Millay. I hope sometime in your life you've had an experience like that. Maybe you could write a love poem about it. You know, coming out, summer, under the full moon, walking a bit, being aware that the full moon is there, visiting with you while you're walking together with someone. That's a rich scene. I hope you've had that experience in your life. Elizabeth Barrett Browning opened us with How Do I Love Thee, Let Me Count the Ways. Well, the full moon would certainly be one of those ways, and all of these poems that we've visited with during this hour speak to the love of poetry, the, the love of life, the love of all things around us, and especially the people that we, we care about. And as the show has unfolded and we're getting close to the time to say goodbye, I will say that I did consider adding some, some poems that would contrast the love poems, but I decided, well, we might as well stick to the 59 Ford Fairlane driving into the easy evening rain, and, and why not let things slip away as as Bobby did. So there is some hard sides to these things. And on that note, I would like to close with a poem I recently wrote in one of our Saturday morning imaginative storm sessions. I wrote this in 10 minutes and spent a bit of time revising it. And it brings us back around to aging and how we see the passing of time and in some ways how we, we love life as as well. So here you go. It's called Blue Fuse Long Song. When you look at the old eye sky, consider why your unfettered urgency breaks you from the uplifting ground. Are we not products of gravity? Did your ability to string heaven and earth together come just after your first step when the sky tumbled across your face? Civilization is always on time, with no end and no beginning. Do you own a watch? What clock does earth follow? I once saw sunset colors along the sea down near Charleston, South Carolina, in the blue fuse, long, song, low country air between salt marsh and seagulls. The old eye sky came along for the ride, not to hide or fly, only to mingle with the moist sea-song air. Must we walk all day? Excuse me, sir. Can you spare two dollars? 
I thank you for your trouble. And that was Blue Fuse Long Song. I wrote that a couple of weeks ago. I wonder who that character is at the end of the poem that says thank you for your trouble. I don't know. You can decide that on your own. Meanwhile, thank you ever so much for spending this poetic hour with me. I appreciate it. And wherever you are out there in the world, I hope you have a little bit of poetry going on in, in your life, a little bit of a poetic disposition. Maybe you're out there driving somewhere, trying to get from one place to another, or maybe you're sitting at your desk, or perhaps you're going about your daily chores, washing the dishes, ironing a few clothes, having a chat with a friend, or whatever it is, relax into it, enjoy the poetry of your own life, as uh, I've enjoyed offering you some of the poetry from my life, and like I say, I do appreciate you tuning into this show whenever you do. And before we go, I would like to offer you one last little bit of poetry written by Charles Wright from his long poem, Lonesome Pine Special. And since we've been on the subject of love and the subject of road and the subject of movement and being close, home, being far away, having that driveway waiting for you when you come back home, this is a, uh, the last bit of Charles Wright's poem. So here you go. The road in is always longer than the road out, even if it's the same road. I think I'd like to find one impassable by machine, a logging road from the early part of the century, overgrown and barely detectable. I'd like it to be in North Carolina, in Henderson County, between Mount Pinnacle and Mount Anne. An old spur off the main track the wagons and trucks hauled out on, blackberry brambles and wild raspberry and poison ivy everywhere, grown trees between the faint ruts, deadfall and windfall and velvety sassafras fans on both sides. It dips downhill and I follow it. It dips down and it disappears and I follow it. And that was the last bit of Charles Wright's Lonesome Pine special all about the road, all about landscapes, traveling around, finding out who you are, spending time with yourself. So wherever you are out there, I, I do appreciate you tuning in. And if you're on the road, be safe. Take it easy. Enjoy the view. Travel into the sunset or away from the sunrise or into the sunrise and away from the sunset. Wherever you're headed, you know, keep, a, keep an easy hand on the wheel and... Maybe you can play Willie Nelson's on the, on the road again. Meanwhile, thank you for tuning in to Twice Five Miles Radio, fertile ground for conversations worth listening to. And remembering, I'm your host, James Nave, always broadcasting first on WPVMLP Asheville 103.7, streaming online, WPVMFM.org. And on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio, out of Taos, New Mexico. Thanks, Walter Parks, for our theme song. Thank you, Devine Dial, for running WPVM-FM. Great management job. 
Robin Collier, thank you for being there at KCEI in Taos, New Mexico. And I want to most especially thank all of you for listening. And oh, by the way, please consider tuning in to our Imaginative Storm Writing Prompt of the Week gathering. It's a workshop, a salon, a conversation. You can find the Zoom link at imaginativestorm.com. We're there every Saturday. We hope you can come. Doors always open, never a charge. Maybe you will write with us for an hour between 12 and 1 Mountain Time. So, for now, that's about it. Thank you ever so much for tuning in. I really do appreciate it. And no matter where you are out there on that great long road, if I'm lucky, one day maybe I'll catch you on that turnaround somewhere down the line. Till then, take it easy. Be safe. Keep on rolling.